This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Adam's new book, Bird, and new album, Leave a Light On For Love, which is available at adammorris.net. Welcome to episode 102 of Talking Wild Madness. This is Adam. It's been a very interesting week. The uh, film editing is getting closer and closer. The closer to the end it gets, the more intense, stressful, and uh, and headache-forming it, it gets. Um, I think when you're in the middle of a process, you think, ah, oh, things will work out. And then when it gets closer to the end, you're like, oh, things either haven't worked out or have worked out, but so far they have, they have worked out. Um, my son has started his first job uh, at a fast food restaurant. He's 14 years old and he's working in a chicken fast food place, which are kind of the classier, kind of the classier fast food places. Um, although that's just my personal preference. A, a, a very fat man once told me that charcoal chicken was the best fast food chicken of, of all time. Uh, I, I, I'm experiencing a lot of father guilt uh, lately, sending my son into into the world, into corporate Australia, and I think corporate Australia is no more strong and represented than in fast food restaurants. And I can imagine him in the thick of service, dealing with customers. I, I think there's elements of being a retail person when you're when you're working in a fast food chicken chain. Um, the chicken chain he's working at is is unique to Western Australia. It's not KFC. Um, I was about to try and rattle off half a dozen chicken chain restaurants, but I don't even know half a dozen chicken chain restaurants. Uh, but it's 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 particular to to Western Australia. But he will be cooking chicken. He will be passing chicken out to customers and taking the orders in what form the customers want their chicken. So he'll be doing a little bit of everything. Um, and and like some strange, um, bizarre Twilight Zone, uh, Black Mirror reality, my uh, YouTube feed is now throwing up, for some reason, and I think maybe throwing up is the correct word or the correct phrase, is now throwing up instructional videos for fast food restaurants from the 1980s. So while I've been working on editing uh, the film, Edward and Isabella, on my left is my other computer. And while I'm waiting for, say, things to load up or for things to save or for, you know, the computer to crash and have to reboot it up again, on, on my left is my other computer and I'll have YouTube playing uh, while I'm waiting. And for some bizarre reason, uh, there have been an instructional video for staff from McDonald's in the 70s. There's been old country buffet uh, videos. I think there were more ads than instructional videos. There was a, a Subway instructional video from the 80s, and there, the latest one was a Pizza Hut instructional video uh, for staff. And you, 
you, you were basically watching what the staff would have watched had they have gotten a job in 1988 in in California or Idaho or Oregon or Indiana or Virginia or fill in the blank. And we have listeners from all those places. So, uh, and the demographic we have are older listeners than younger listeners. So, uh, there may have been teenagers in the late eighties listening now who might've watched these same videos, which is very, very interesting. Uh, and I have to say the watching these videos, I, I, I think my cynicism for fast food is too cynical because I just thought that pizza hut would get these pizzas delivered frozen in a giant box, uh, you know, a, a mega pallet of frozen pizzas and then they would just unbox them and, and put them through a, an oven to, to heat them up and then serve them. And, and maybe they do now, but then that's my cynicism cre creeping in again. But in this video, they have one woman in her early 30s talking to a teenager, um, a middle to late teenager, basically explaining the process of making the pizza. And they have uh, proving yeasts. They have um, they they have machines that you slide dough in after you've rolled it to a certain amount uh, to make the pan size or the thin and crispy. Um, you have different uh, weights of cheese that you have to put on different uh, sizes of pizza. You have a spec chart that tells you how much cheese to put on what particular size pizza. Uh, and I, I have to say, I was I was equally impressed and intimidated uh, because I wouldn't be able to work in Pizza Hut uh, in 1988. Certainly not with 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 the brain that I have now, with this 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 mechanical thing that I've got between my ears. It was too much for me to take in. I couldn't I couldn't follow the processes. I wasn't able to understand exactly what the difference was between. Uh, how much dough I had to get out. And maybe they didn't show the spec chart long enough. I'm not sure. But they had a close-up of the spec chart, and it was very, very complicated. Um, it was, like, extraordinarily complicated. And it was it was kind of the, it was the thing that I would have looked at when someone was telling me, if that, if that early 30-year-old woman was, was telling me, Adam, the, this spec chart here, if you, can, if you can see that the ratio to dough and, and, uh, and cheese – for the smaller pizza is different from the ratio to the dough and cheese for the medium pizza. I would have been standing there in my netted hat and name tag and been, I would have nodded earnestly and then I would have fucked up the pizzas for the rest of the week before I was fired. Um, so I'm, I'm quite impressed if, if that's, if that's what's happening every time we pass a pizza hut, I have more, a lot more respect for, uh, for what's going on in there. Cause I always thought it was some kind of, industrial Orwellian nightmare um, but it's you know it sounds like they're making dough in there and they're making well, this isn't an ad for Pizza Hut by the way but I was very uh, I was very impressed and and somewhat intimidated I have to say I, I, I'm some, somewhat intimidated I have the luxury and the curse of making a living in kind of like odd ways I'm not in a position where I don't have to make a living, so I still do have to make a living, but I make it through music and writing and, and teaching at uni and, and selling books and that kind of stuff. And um, like I said, I don't do enough of any of those things 
to the point where I don't have to work anymore. Um, and in the back of your head, you think, well, you can always fall back onto, uh, you know, simple jobs where you could go and just turn up and do the work. But now that, that, that video has frightened me a, a great deal. Cause I don't think I'd last, I don't think I'd last in a, in a, in a pizza hut making pizzas. Um, not very long anyway not as long as the proving dough for the uh, thin and crispy apparently the thin and crispy the 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 thick thin sorry the thick base pizza proves in the tray prove by the way for anyone not familiar with um with bread or dough is when the dough you've made the dough you've rolled the dough and then you have to let the dough rise so apparently that's the that's the proof the, which is an interesting choice of words so the uh the thick pan pizza proves in the tray. They roll it out in the tray, whereas the thin and crispy pizza proves in a big bag, a big plastic bag. And then the teenagers working there have to dig their hand into this bag and rip out approximately uh, three ounces or 12 ounces of, of dough and, and run it through this other machine that, that spits it out as a, as a big uh, thin disc. And I, I can imagine owning a franchise and then having to train all these teenagers uh, because I, I'd imagine half of them or more than half of them would be like me and they'd nod and smile and, and when you're telling them about the cheese ratios and the spec charts um, and, 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 and what, uh, what calibration the oven needs to go on for a, a vegetarian pizza compared to a meat pizza, I'd imagine they'd be smiling and nodding at you as, as earnestly as I was. Uh, and then they would, you know, equally fuck it up uh, as much as I would as well. And then you have to go through the whole thing again. And then when you find one teenager that's able to do the job, that is, you know, some kind of soldier, and when you tell him what the calibration of the oven and how many ounces of cheese goes on a medium, he's the kind of guy that will yell and scream at, at underlings who are putting an extra ounce of cheese too many and are not respecting the spec chart, which is maybe why they call it the spec chart. Although spec stands for, definitely doesn't stand for spectrum. Doesn't stand for speculation. Specifications is probably what it, what it, what it, uh, what it stands for. But I, uh, what it reminded me of more than anything else was it, it brought up this idea of what are we, what, what do you do with your, with your children? What, what do you do with your child when you have to introduce him to certain elements of the world that he's now eligible to be exposed to because of the amount of time he has spent uh, under the sun, so to speak? Uh, like, why are we sending our children? Why do we send our seven-year-old boys to piano lessons and violin lessons? I'm not sure. But... I heard a story about Tiger Woods and, and his father. And Tiger Woods, for for anyone who don't, who uh, has no idea who Tiger Woods is, he's he's a, a golfer and he's he's the goat of golfers, the greatest of all time. He's supposed to be the greatest of all time. I'm not a golf player. Uh, I don't I don't enjoy golf. I don't enjoy people who like talking about golf. I despise golf, um, but golf was Tiger Woods's, I was about to say it, it was his chosen sport, but of course it wasn't. It was his father's chosen sport for him. And uh, Tiger Woods's father used to take him out on the driving range and used to have him hit balls 
uh, in the rain for hours and hours and hours at a time. And if this wasn't enough, if this wasn't intense enough, if this wasn't painful enough, if this wasn't a glimpse into the misery of, of the adult world, Tiger Woods's father would, while this was happening, while he was on his seventh hour of hitting a ball in the rain, uh, Tiger Woods's father would yell abuse at his son. And his son apparently started this when he was four years old, five years old. Uh, and he would uh, racially abuse him racially abuse him while he was out doing this and uh he would also at random moments throughout the the training quote unquote training he would fire uh, a gun into the air uh in the middle of his backswing so while he was calling tiger woods the n-word and firing pistols into the air tiger woods his brain his his um his small six-year-old beautiful uh, uh, half black, half Chinese brain, wh whatever Tiger Woods identifies as, was was calibrating all this madness, but he was laser focused on to uh, hitting the golf ball with, with the uh, with the golf club. Uh, and apparently, the the training got so intense, and the, the training was so um, on point, whatever however you want to call it, that apparently. Tiger Woods and his father had a safe word. Now, again, for our listeners not familiar with these these phrases, a safe word is when you are having uh, a BDSM sex with a partner and it's violent and uh, it, I think it can be called uh, hate sex or rage sex, where you, where you're basically it's a notch it's a notch below uh, assault. You're basically uh, beating the crap out of each other while you're while you're fucking at the same time, uh, and if you are engaging in this, and then sometimes one of you is hanging from the ceiling upside down with with chains uh, firmly secured to uh, to your buttocks, while the other person's doing who knows what, and and yelling abuse at you, and, and maybe calling you the n word, and maybe even firing pistols at the same time, uh, and you have this safe word that if it gets too much, if it gets too intense, if, if the uh, horse bridle that they've just forced into your throat and, and are reefing back on, uh, reefing back uh, as they as they penetrate you from who knows in which place, uh, you're able to squirt out this safe word and it basically brings the proceedings to a halt. Um, obviously, you have to trust your your sadomasochistic partner enough to uh, to 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 have an agreement where a safe word brings all the madness to a stop, and apparently hardcore, uh, almost socio psychopathic sadomasochists <clears throat> engage in this kind of behavior without a safe word. But that might be a complete myth. I'm not sure. So six year old Tiger Woods, uh, just to put things in perspective, had a safe word with his father uh, when it came to his golf training. Uh, and one of the most incredible things that I think I've ever heard, certainly this year, if not in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, is that all the, all the time uh, during this training, Tiger Woods, the goat of, of golf, uh, never once used that safe word. 